Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything happening in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal weirdness. Uh, this is a crowd-sourced news podcast, so if you happen to see anything that you think is zoo news worthy, then go ahead and tag me in that on social medias. I am uh, at Rossafari everywhere except for at Rossafari Pod on TikTok or email those stories to me, uh, rossafaripod at gmail.com. And uh, whether I use your story or not, you'll get to hear your name at the end of the episode. So that's pretty exciting. While you're there, make sure you hit follow. Make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast please take a moment to leave a rating and maybe even write a review for the podcast it really helps people find the podcast and uh yeah so uh you may notice if you are a regular listener that my voice is a little bit subdued right now and uh i'm not gonna lie that is because today has been a bit of a rough day I'm sure that you all know by now that we are a two-dog family currently, Paradiddle, the young black lab who is insane and wonderful and perfect, and Lexi, my older chihuahua, who is very much not insane, but uh, wonderful and perfect in her own way, and we love them both so much, and uh, we're also fostering a dog named Otis, and uh, Otis is a very scared uh, Aussie who is getting braver every day, and things are going really well. But there are actually more dogs in my life, and uh, one of them uh, was named Bree. Bree was a very small chihuahua who has been in my life for over a decade now and uh, was currently living with uh, Zoe's parents, um, but she'd, she'd been with me from kind of my previous life, and then we spent some years where we were not together, and during that time... Uh, I'm not quite sure what happened, but Bree went from a normal, if weird, small dog to a dog who sometimes would just choose to not eat for like a long period of time and, and sometimes would uh, would argue over some food that she loved the day before, but then would eat something that she had never wanted to eat before. It was, it was really a journey to figure out what Bree wanted every day in order to do basic things like, you know, stay alive. And uh, that largely became the responsibility of Zoe's dad, Chris. And it was something that he took on with a lot of passion and did a really great job with. Uh, unfortunately, Bree recently fell sick and uh, we had to make the decision today to euthanize her. And um, this was really out of the blue for me. 11 years old is not a long time for a chihuahua to to live. Um, I mean, it's it's a fair age. But um, yeah, I just uh, I was caught really off guard by this. And um, I've been kind of trying to process it all day. And I tried to come up and record this earlier in the day. 
but uh, I didn't think I was in the best headspace for it. And if I'm being completely honest, it's, it's you know, 1030 at night, uh, the day before this drops, and I got to get it recorded, but uh, I'm still not really in the best headspace for it. Um, but, you know, I wanted to share about Brie, and of course, I think it's important to get the, the normal Zoo News stuff out there. So we're going to soldier on. But, um, you know, if you have a dog or, you know, a cat or there's something that'll let you do so, give it a little extra squeeze for me uh, when you listen to this. And, and just, uh, you know, this is the hard part of pets and we will move on. But um, I'm a Miss Bree. She was a good dog. When I was in the hospital last year and then uh, at Zoe's parents' house recovering, uh, Bree basically did not leave my side except for to go to the bathroom literally for the weeks that I was there, just curled up next to me the whole time. So, uh, yeah, I miss Bree Bree. But anyway, enough being melancholy from me. Let's move on to Zoo News. You know... <laughs> Sometimes making this podcast is very weird. We just spent a solid five minutes saying goodbye to Bree the puppy and, and being sad and immediately launched into a parody of my Sharona about Zoo News. So, uh, yeah, there it is. All right. So we are going to start off the Zoo News segment this week by doing some hellos and goodbyes. We'll start with the hellos. The Philadelphia Zoo announced the birth of two sloth bear cubs to 10-year-old mom Kayla and 10-year-old dad Balu on January 2nd. Uh, they don't know the sex yet. They have not chosen names yet. And um, it looks like the parents are doing a really great job raising the cubs. So really exciting news out of the Philadelphia Zoo. And speaking of exciting news, the Utica Zoo, which, you know, again, I, I think should be called Zutica, but that's besides the point, uh, has announced the birth of a baby gibbon. This birth is particularly noteworthy because the parents are Snowflake and Yoda. And no, it's not just the adorable names that make this noteworthy, but Snowflake is 35 years old and Yoda, the male, is 38 years old, which is really, really old for Gibbons to be reproducing. Um, all of the animals are healthy and are currently off exhibit and bonding, uh, but this is really exciting news for the Utica Zoo, Zutica, and uh, of course for their Gibbon baby, or Giblet, hmm? And our good friends at Wildlife World Zoo Aquarium and Safari Park have announced the birth of Arizona's first baby pygmy hippo or Oh, this one gets tricky because pygmy hippo is technically what the animal is called. So if we did the first syllable thing, it would just be piglet. <laughs> that's not right. Maybe it's a pygmy hiplet. I think that's what we're going with. It's a pygmy hiplet. Yep. This is how my brain works. Anyway, the baby was born just in time for World Hippo Day, and as I said, it's the first time that a pygmy hippo has ever been born in Arizona, which is really exciting and cool. And last but not least in our new animal department this week, uh, the Denver Zoo has announced the birth of a baby bongo named Fiddle. So this little bonglet uh, can be seen at the Denver Zoo, and I highly recommend you go to at Denver Zoo 
on Instagram or to Denver Zoo on Facebook because you need to see the ridiculously adorable ears that this bonglet has. It's it's just incredible. So uh, congrats to the Denver Zoo. And now to flip to the other side of this coin, uh, the Brookfield Zoo announced the passing of Ben, a 44-year-old Bornean orangutan, uh, which made him the second oldest Bornean orangutan in North America. As if that isn't incredible enough, Ben has had a history of all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Back in 2018, uh, he had a ruptured appendix and they needed to perform an emergency surgery to take care of that. He also had a long history of heart disease that was being managed well with medication at the zoo. And he also had severe arthritis and spinal degeneration. All of those things were going on, but were perfectly managed by Brookfield and uh, the incredible vet team there and the keeper team there. And just what a testament to the awesome care that zoo animals receive. The fact that that Ben lived such a long life despite all those issues, astonishing. Our friends at Roger Williams Park Zoo announced the passing of 27-year-old female moon bear Gracie due to a decline in health and age-related mobility issues. Gracie was a very unique and sweet bear and really loved interacting with her keepers. Um, it was definitely a mutual love uh, as the keepers really loved Gracie. Um, and when she was younger, she used to like to play and climb a lot. But, you know, as she got older, uh, some of that went away. Uh, she lived alongside her brother, George, who is still at the zoo. And the zoo is monitoring to make sure that he is okay. Um, in general, moon bears are solitary by nature. So the sibling relationship was honestly a little bit surprising. Very cool to see, but also, um, you know, something that he might be okay being alone is the point. Uh, but yeah, condolences to the team at Roger Williams Park Zoo. And our last farewell this week uh, is a slightly different kind of story, unfortunately. A giraffe named Parker died at the Seneca Park Zoo in Rochester earlier this week at the age of six. When the keepers showed up that morning, Parker was found unresponsive and the vet team tried to help but uh, were unable to save him. Uh, it turns out that a gate structure that has been not only in place at this zoo since 2018, but is a standard giraffe enclosure feature that is used in a bunch of accredited zoos around the country, um, somehow trapped Parker's head. And when he tried to break free, it uh, fractured his neck. Uh, staff was not there at the time. This wasn't like they used it wrong or anything. It just weird little fluke that this, this happened this way. Uh, Seneca Park Zoo did both tell the Gates manufacturer and also made sure to report this to the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the AZA um, to make sure that, you know, this is something that they are aware of and, and whether this is a problem with manufacture or a problem with this particular unit or just a crazy one in a billion fluke chance thing, we don't know. The zoo did announce that it will be modifying their gate to prevent this from happening again. 
So uh, condolences to everyone at Seneca Park Zoo. And uh, I, I really hope that they're able to figure out exactly what happened and prevent this, uh, especially knowing that, you know, this type of thing is in draft enclosures around the country. Now I want to give you a quick update on the Central Park Zoo Eurasian Eagle Owl, known as Flacco, who got out of his exhibit when it was vandalized a few weeks ago. Um, Flacco was recently almost caught uh, in a trap, but was able to figure it out and evade capture and has been tracked regularly through the park, both by zoo personnel and by the birders that are coming out to see this majestic animal in a place you normally could not see it. Um, the bird has been spotted hunting and eating successfully, which is exciting and honestly a bit surprising uh, for an animal that lived its life in captivity. So the zoo has decided that it is not going to try to recapture Flacco at this time unless the opportunity presents itself in a very easy and obvious way. I have thoughts, y'all. I get it. I do. And I think, you know, if they truly think that's the best thing for this bird's welfare, then okay, that's that's what they should do. It's always, you know, animal welfare first, of course. That being said, there are a whole lot of people who are going to look at this as proof that animals in captivity can totally thrive in the wild and that even the zoo in this case is admitting it. And I'm just worried that this is going to lead to you know, at worst, more copycat things and um, at the very least, give more ammo to the anti-captivity crowd saying all of these animals should be released, even though we know that this is a weirdly fluky thing that it is working out in uh, this owl's favor as far as being able to eat and such. I still don't think it's actually working out in his favor since, you know, he won't get vet care and uh, all that good kind of stuff. But I have to say, if he's not going to be back in his enclosure right now, I'm really glad that he seems to be thriving. So this past weekend was the Super Bowl, and my son's team, the Kansas City Chiefs, won the whole enchilada. So he's very happy, and his uh, stepdad, Brandon, is an Eagles fan, so he's less happy. Um, but that's not really the, the, you know, zoo news part of the Super Bowl. But I do have two stories that are related to said game. First of all is that Clint Screechwood has been announced as the winner of the Superb Owl Contest, uh, which awards Forest Park Zoo, where he lives, a $5,000 cash prize. Screechwood obtained more than 60% of the votes cast during the final round of the Superb Owl Contest, which we mentioned on last week's Zoo News. So uh, congratulations to Clint Screechwood. The second story involves one of the players on the Philadelphia Eagles, kind of. Um, so it turns out that our great friends at Elmwood Park Zoo are home to Reggie, a bald eagle who is the official Philadelphia Eagles mascot and who goes to all of the home games in Philadelphia and flies around the stadium. And if if this is blowing your mind, you need to go back and listen to my episodes with Laura Houston where we talk all about this. Y'all, I've hung out with Reggie. He's very cool and um we're we're buds. I mean, I'm just saying that I'm I'm buds with this NFL 
player? I don't know. I'm going to call him a player. He doesn't play the game. But uh, yeah, anyway. Um, and the story's actually really cool. So Reggie comes from the Raptor Education Group Incorporated in Wisconsin. And uh, when he was taken in by them after he was hit by a truck, uh, he was only three months old. The tip of his wing was severed. And, um, you know, he would not be able to fly in the wild because of that. But overall, he was healthy and had a very gentle demeanor. So when Elmwood Park Zoo reached out to uh, REGI, which is where the name Reggie comes from, uh, they were able to obtain him and get the uh, placement approved and everything. And yeah, he got to be trained. He gets to work with this awesome team. And he is the official mascot of the Philadelphia Eagles. So even though the Chiefs might have won the game, the Eagles win in having the cooler mascot and having a mascot that you can go visit at our good friends at Elmwood Park Zoo. There was recently a mass shooting event at Michigan State University. In response to this, Potter Park Zoo, the local AZA-accredited facility, has offered um, to give free admission to all Michigan State University students and staff. This is so cool. They wrote this thing and they said, we invite you to take a stroll through our park, visit the animals, and take advantage of the quiet areas that we offer. We hope that our zoo can provide a small moment of happiness and a chance to take a break from the stress of recent events. I just think that's such a cool thing. Yeah, open those doors up. Let people who love animals come and, and see those animals. I Beautiful work by Potter Park Zoo. All right, do me a favor, and if you are near your phone, I assume you're listening to this on your phone or the internet or somewhere near you where you can get to your calendar or calendar app or whatever you use, break it out because I'm going to give you a date in a moment that I want you to jot down. But first, before we do that story, see, I'm giving you time to actually go and do this. Uh, I wanted to let you know that Amazon Smile is officially ending this week. Now, Amazon Smile is a program that if you went to smile.amazon.com, you could pick a charity and that charity would get a small but, you know, significant when it adds up percentage of uh, the amount of money that you spend on each purchase donated to them through Amazon. Uh, I've been giving money to Red Panda Network for years this way, and many zoos also have it set up so that you could make them your Amazon Smile charity. Even though the percentages were small, Amazon does so much business that organizations and zoos and such were able to get a lot of money from this program. So the fact that they are ending it is a huge bummer. And if you are a person who has had a zoo or a conservation organization set up as your Amazon Smile charity, maybe see if you can find another way to, to up the donations to them a little bit because uh, all of these incredible organizations are about to be losing a lot of money that they've regularly had coming in through Amazon Smile. Okay, do you have that calendar? Cool, cool, cool. Please write down that on February 23rd, 2023, if you order online takeout from any Panda Express location in the country and you use code 913181, I'll put it in show notes as well. 
uh, some of that money will be donated to the Cincinnati Zoo AAZK chapter. So this is a way that you can go and help the American Association of Zookeepers at Cincinnati just by eating Chinese food. So that's pretty exciting. And um, even though their logo is the wrong kind of panda, we still love it. So yeah, uh, once again, that is February 23rd. And just do some online ordering of your Panda Express and put in code 913181 and you will be able to help the Cincinnati Zoo. And last but not least in Zoo News this week, um, I wanted to uh, turn your attention to an article from Slate by Daniel Bisgrove called Why Zoos Can't Completely Lock Down to Prevent What Happened in Dallas. And as you can imagine, this is an article that explains why zoos can't completely lock down to prevent what happened in Dallas. Um, but oftentimes, I feel like when these articles come out, they seem to be at least somewhat anti-zoo. And and um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of times when I see these articles, I get I get very nervous. So when listener and friend Kristen Khalil sent this to me, I I got the little jumblies in my tummy that either mean I have to poop or am nervous about what's going on in this case it was both but um i i pulled it up and i was really impressed it is really good coverage about how much zoos have grown and changed over the years and uh, i just thought it was pretty good coverage overall and 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 positive and explained a lot of things that that i think the general public needs to understand about zoos and at no point did it blame dallas or any of these other zoos where things have happened um for being the problem it yeah, blamed the vandals and uh, i feel like that should be expected but we all know that it kind of isn't. So um, yeah, I highly recommend that you check this article out. It's a good read and I think it's really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that it's out there. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. So we're going to start off with some great news out of India. For the first time since 1977, no rhinos were poached in any of India's parks. That is so encouraging and so incredible. And we've already known that um, Indian conservation work is going super well when it comes to the rhinos. Uh, the the population has basically... Um, grown tremendously. Uh, it's doubled across northeastern India uh, since conservation efforts started. And now we've had our first year with absolutely no rhinos poached in the parks. So this is an absolutely huge win in India. Our friends at Red Panda Network have put out a press release that makes me really, really happy. Uh, a recent study by Red Panda Network has confirmed the growth of the Red Panda population in the PIT corridor of eastern Nepal, where they do so much of their work. Uh, and this finding provides proof, not even evidence, but proof that community-based conservation is working in the region. Uh, the latest study shows that red pandas have gone from making their home in 88% of the PIT corridor in 2011 to inhabiting 93% of the region uh, back in 2019. Uh, it takes a while to get these numbers and studies and such. And the likelihood of a scientist 
protecting a red panda in the same area in that same time period rose from 36% to 54%. That is really exciting. Now, all of the data came from the forest guardians, who are the citizen scientists and conservation advocates that live in the same area as red pandas and then, you know, work with the Red Panda Network to get a livelihood and help save these incredible animals. So these efforts are working. I love this so much. Also, on a side note, um, this isn't really conservation news, but if you like red pandas, not only should you support Red Panda Network, but if you go to Target right now, they have a whole series of uh, plush animals uh, from FAO Schwartz, which has apparently become a brand that sells at Target now rather than just a uh, store in New York. Um, And they have an absolutely adorable red panda plush, along with like... I don't know, octa, octopodes and, and some other things I saw. I think a fox and I, there were a lot of them. But uh, weirdly, I was attracted to the red panda, but not allowed to buy said red panda because I have too many stuffed red pandas, which is a perfectly normal sentence for an adult male to uh, be making right now. But um, so if you think that I should get the uh, red panda plush from Target, then please send an email to my wife at nope. Oh, hey. Um, hi, babe. Sorry, I was just... Do not do that. Uh, okay. John. Oh, okay, okay. Anyway, more than 13,000 Nigerian citizens are suing Shell Oil for decades of oil spills that they say have decreased their life expectancy to 41 years old. So that's problematic um obviously and and hopefully they are able to get some kind of restitution for this but like i don't know man i don't even know what the hell you're supposed to how do you put a a financial value on that like don't get me wrong give these people money give them restitution oil companies are every year making more and more profits even as we see prices go up and and even as they create more ecological disasters so like yeah i'm completely on board for this uh, lawsuit but also at the same time like how how do you even put a number on that that's that's such an insane statistic but but good for these people for trying to get something for it Three new species of spiral-shelled nautilus have been discovered, which ups the total number of known nautilus species right now from six to nine. So that's a pretty huge uh, increase at one time. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, how much stuff is out there, especially in the ocean, that we just don't know about. The idea of discovering that that the number of species of a, a type of, of, of creature uh, that we know about has has just gone up by 50% in one find is astonishing and really gives some some cool insight into just how much we don't know about what is going on uh, in, in the ocean. And then last but not least for conservation news, I felt the need to touch on the story that is going on in Ohio right now. And um, I feel like this is getting enough national news that I've, I've debated whether to talk about it on here or not. Um, but in case you don't know, um, a train carrying hazardous chemicals derailed in Ohio and is on track to become uh, one of the worst environmental catastrophes in U.S. history. Um, It's really bad, y'all. So this happened in East Palestine, Ohio, 
And 150 cars from a freight train derailed with hundreds of thousands of gallons of chemicals spilling out into nature. 2,000 people within a two-mile radius were told to evacuate. And um, it's been two full weeks, and residents are complaining of headaches, dizziness, and fevers. Uh, Dead pets, dead chicken, dead livestock— fish just showing up dead in the local waterways, uh, including the Ohio River, which, by the way, the Ohio River feeds into a lot of the other river systems out there. This is, this is bad, y'all. There are four main chemicals that have been dropped into the river and soil in this area in Ohio. Uh, The first is vinyl chloride, which is a colorless gas that's used to make uh, PVC plastics. It's highly flammable. It decomposes to make toxic fumes and was actually used to make mustard gas back in World War One. Um, it is also carcinogenic, according to the National Library of Medicine, and can cause other health issues. Butyl acrylate, which is a clear liquid that is used for making paints, sealants, and adhesives. It is also flammable and can cause skin, eye, and respiratory irritation. Ethylhexyl acrylate, which is a colorless liquid used to make paints and plastics. It can cause skin and respiratory irritation and under moderate heat can also produce hazardous vapors. And ethylene glycol monobutyl, which is a colorless liquid used as a solvent for paint and inks, as well as some dry cleaning solutions. It is classified as acutely toxic. It is able to cause serious or permanent injury, and it is also highly flammable. Vapors can irritate the eyes and nose, and ingestion can cause headaches and vomiting. And I'd like to say thank you to at Future Earth on Instagram for posting the breakdown of those chemicals because, y'all, I'm still working on becoming a biologist. I am not a chemist. So, yeah, this is really bad and um, is also... You know, there are a lot of problems with this. Um, There has actually already been another massive train derailment outside of Detroit since then. I am unsure if there are any chemicals that were on that train. I haven't uh, found that information out yet as I'm recording this, but um, that's that's not great either. You know, and that just goes to show that our crumbling infrastructure in the United States is really problematic. These train tracks are carrying hazardous materials. They're carrying important goods like foods and stuff that we need. They're they're carrying human beings and, um, you know, occasionally villains from the 1920s and 30s are tying helpless women to them so that um, overdrawn masculine superheroes can come and save them. So these are really important things and they just go by the wayside. As a matter of fact, um, you know, there was that recent railway strike that was shut down by the Biden administration and the main complaints of the the railway workers were simply that they were asked to work too many hours in unsafe conditions and with too small of a crew. And it seems like maybe we wouldn't be having these train issues if um, the administration did not side with the railways, which are clearly messing stuff up. It's a real 
problem, and I am disgusted that this is happening right now. The other part of it that I find very disgusting is that I'm guessing that most of you that are listening to this have heard about this, at least somewhat, because a lot of environmentally conscious people are trying to raise awareness about this. However, the mainstream media has stayed away from the story until very recently. It's starting to pick up traction now because so many of us in the environmental sphere are talking about it. Now, look, I am not a person who is a conspiracy theorist and I am not anti-media. I'm not one of these people who denies reality. But in this case, the coverage has been really lax when you think about the fact that this is one of the largest ecological disasters of our time. And by the time we actually know the effects of it all and how these chemicals getting into the rivers and spreading and everything, what, what comes from that could be the largest in our time. It, it might not be, but um, it's been really disheartening to see a very slow uh, political response to this and a very muted uh, media approach to this. So I hope that those things get cleared up in the near future here. And I hope that if nothing else, this can help us remember to start to focus on infrastructure again. Um, there, I'm just trying to look at the conservation side of this story right now, but there is so much disgusting stuff going on here, y'all. Um, if you're interested in the topic, look up things uh, about this story because there's there's just so much. The, the railways offering $1,000 maximum per person affected there yeah, it's just gross there's so much going on i won't go into all of that because we have to get to other news but uh it's a story really worth keeping an eye on and now in other Six years ago, a photograph was taken of an odd-looking primate in the Malaysian part of Borneo. And uh, new research has shown that this monkey, which has been a mystery of exactly what it is, uh, may actually be a hybrid animal. It is now believed that a female silver-leafed monkey mated with a male proboscis monkey. And um, that's super, super rare. Scientists believe that because of habitat fragmentation and other ecological pressures, uh, these two primates may have reproduced with each other, which is super strange and super a bad sign for this entire area. Um, so, you know, this is just, uh, whenever you see hybridization across genera, it is stark evidence that um, the environment is not doing super well in that area because this is just an insanely rare thing to see. So uh, definitely not super great news, although it's, it's nice to know what the mystery monkey was. And last but not least, we have a two-part story that starts off fun and then uh, is going to make me a little soapboxy. So um, it turns out that an emu, whose name is Mallory, lives in Massachusetts, uh, right on the outskirts of East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, in fact. And uh, last Thursday night, the bird managed to hop the six-foot fence that, that was part of its enclosure and um, <laughs> took off. So the owner reported this fact to the police, and uh, the police started looking for Mallory. 
and they found her in the nearby town of Brockton, Massachusetts. There was a significant wild goose chase, wild emu chase, I guess, um, before they were able to capture Mallory and get her back home. So yeah, there was just an emu running through this town in Massachusetts, and I think it's kind of a hilarious uh, image. But you know, soapbox warning here, but um, not only does this story show that, you know, exotic pets are not the best idea, but then the author randomly, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, this is one of those websites where they need to have a lot of um, text because that way they can cram more ads in. And so they literally just end the story about an emu escape in Massachusetts by saying, oh, hey, did you know that you can legally own an emu in Maine? Here are some other animals that you are allowed to have as a pet in Maine. And they list 13 animals, and they are emu, stingrays, Argus and crocodile monitors, a serval cat, pythons, gannets, African spurred tortoises, sugar gliders, freshwater barracuda, white nose kawadi, swamp eels, alligator, snapping turtles, and freaking binturong. Okay, I love binturongs. I might move to Maine and get a binturong, but only because I am married to a vet who could handle it and also would not actually let me get a pet binturong because that is a horrible freaking idea. And not only is it a horrible idea that you can do that, but maybe, just maybe, responsible journalists, which clearly this uh, author is not, should not end a story about an exotic animal escaping and causing all kinds of problems in town and also getting injured, although Mallory is okay. She did get injured in the process. She will recover, but yes, got got injured. Maybe, just maybe, we should not end that article talking about the 13 species of exotic animals that you can have as a pet in Maine. I am so annoyed and got so briefly excited and then even more annoyed when I saw Binturong on the list. Look, I'm only human, y'all, and I really love those guys. But 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 no, no, stop it. Bad. Oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Hey! All right, y'all. So it is still February, and that is Adopt a Rescue Rabbit Month, International Hoof Care Month, Fishing a Cat February, and National Bird Feeding Month. Now, as we look at our individual days, on the 18th is World Pangolin Day and Rakali Awareness Day. The 19th is World Whale Day. The 20th is Love Your Pet Day and also starts Invasive Species Awareness Week, which runs from the 20th to the 26th. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right. So there we have it, folks. Zoo News is done for a whole 
nother week. Looking forward to another interview episode dropping on Tuesday. And uh, hey, while we're here, let's take a second to say thank you to Laura Shank and Kristen Dickey, who are my Red Panda level patrons. Keep in mind, you can go to patreon.com slash Rossafari and uh, become a patron for as little as $3 a month. You can support the podcast and you'll get some bonus audio from some of the interview episodes and also some other little fun polls and and little messages and such. It's it's a good time uh, and it helps support the pod. So again, that's patreon.com slash Rossafari. I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who contributed to the episode this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Crystal Chapman, Kristen Khalil, Kevin Williams, Liz Dunleavy, Ken Tryon, and Jacob Newman. I just really love all of my C&K flow there. That was That's a lot of fun. Always cracks me up. But thank you all so much for helping out with this episode. It was really nice to have a lot of stories to just be able to turn to on a, a week where, you know, things, like I said at the beginning, went a little sideways. And um, yeah, it was nice to have y'all doing the work for me, basically. Um, and just thank you all for listening and for caring and and for being a part of, of the Rossafari family. Uh, I truly love having not just everyone who contributes, but but everybody who, who just listens as a part of this. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for, for helping it grow. I love y'all. Uh, and remember, friends, the words Newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.